Right, well, it's a real privilege um, to be here, and let's just pray. <clears throat> it's a good place to start. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you this morning, Lord. Speak by your spirit into each one of our hearts, I pray. Amen. <coughs> right, well, interesting enough, um, I preached the first sermon um, at this church, and those many, many years ago, I know I don't look that old, but uh, unfortunately that is the truth. And if you want to know more about the church, Paul Endersby just there wrote a brilliant book about our 40 years history, so please do read that. Um, this morning, I want to talk about investing. I want to talk about investing. What sort of picture does that conjure up in your mind when I say that word, investing? The concise Oxford Dictionary says this, and listen to this very carefully. Investing is devoting one's time and energy to an undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Investing is devoting one's time and energy to an undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Jesus actually said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, follow my example because I follow the example of Christ. What an enormous challenge that is, isn't it, to each one of us. Writing to Titus, he actually said, and I love this word, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing good. So both Jesus and Paul did exactly what the Oxford Dictionary says. They invested their time and they invested their energy in an undertaking with amazing results. We actually all invest in things, don't we? We invest in our education. Um, I spent five years training um, as an accountant. For the first three years, I earned nothing. And for the next year, I earned one pound. I had a very generous employer, but that's what it was to be articled. But as a consequence of me qualifying as an accountant, I actually became the accountant at Scripture Union, which was an organisation that ran children's missions on the beach and published Bible reading notes. I also had the opportunity of becoming a general manager of bakeries both in London and in Eastbourne. And also, I became a director at Kingsway Publications, which was a, a Christian music and book publishing company here in Eastbourne. Let's just look at what the Lord said to Joshua. So if you can turn in your Bibles, nothing's going to come up behind on the screen. I'm not a tech person, so open up your Bibles. If you've got uh, your iPads or whatever else in front of you, you can either check up what happened to the football yesterday or you can read your 
Bible, whichever you wish to do. That's entirely up to you. But just turn to Joshua chapter 1 and look at verse 8, which says this. Joshua 1 verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now I'm still using the old NIV version. I've come off the King James, but I'm on the NIV, so it may not totally agree with what your Bible says, but basically what it's saying is that we need to start our education in the Word of God. Have you ever thought of that? That's really where our education begins. And that verse was actually given to me on the day that I was converted. We also invest in our families, in our parents, in our siblings, in our spouses and in our children. And when I was working, I tried, and I did really try to get home every evening to ensure that I could spend a time with my children, reading and saying our prayers together. And when I was working full-time for the church, Ruth and I always kept Friday totally free as a day that we could spend that time together. And Saturdays was for the children. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14, let the little children come to me. And Jesus actually invested time in family. He spent a lot of time with Lazarus, with Martha, and with Mary. And even two books we have in our Bibles were actually written by his brothers. Family was very important to Jesus. And family should be very important to us. We also invest in our homes, often with a mortgage provider or perhaps a landlord. But don't let it just be bricks and mortar and furnishing. But let us invest in the atmosphere that there is in our home. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, we read in Galatians. And that should be part of the atmosphere of each one of our homes. Let love, let peace, joy, which we've been thinking about today, let that be part of the atmosphere in our house. Let's practice the gift of hospitality. Peter actually says that we should offer hospitality because he said each one should see it as a gift which we can actually give to other people. And I know there's some brilliant people in this church who have that gift of hospitality. And what a joy it is to go to someone's house and to be welcomed and to have that sense of love and to be fed. It's all very helpful. <laughs> but it's great to have that gift of hospitality. We also, of course, may well invest in stocks and shares. We've already heard about that today. We may have savings accounts, or we may have ISAs. We may be sort of investing um, in our pension. And uh, when I was a young man, a long time ago, um, I used to actually spend time buying stocks and shares. And each week I would buy the Investor's Chronicle, and I would read it from cover to cover. And that was until I suddenly realised I was spending more time reading the Investor's Chronicle than I was actually reading God's Word. And I was missing out on true investment. So 
Can you think of other things we can invest in? Well, what about investing in the kingdom of God? What about investing in the kingdom of God? Let's just remind us again of our definition. Devoting one's time and energy to an undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. D.A. Carson, who is a Canadian theologian, actually said this, from my youth, I decided to invest in the stock of heaven. Can you just turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, and looking at verses 19 through to 21. Matthew chapter 6, and verses 19 to 21. And this is what Jesus says. Do not stir up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you'll remember Jesus actually told a parable, didn't he? Just turn on a little further into Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And uh, we'll look at verses 16 to 21. It's nice to hear pages turning over. Luke, chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. I'll just summarize it. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself... I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Let me ask you one or two questions. When did you become a citizen of God's kingdom? When were you born again? When did you become a child of God? Incredibly important questions. And each one of us needs to have an answer for that. I was born again on the Norfolk Broads on the 28th of August, 1950. Yeah, there was a date back that far. (laughs) And uh, the camp commandant, actually, was a man by the name of Norman Gray. And he was a dentist, and he lived just across the road to where I lived in Eastbourne. And uh, his practice was one that we used to go to regularly um, to pray there. And I recently discovered, and they're not here today, that Jackie Anderson, it was her grandfather. And James, Jackie's father, mentored me and was one of my mentors during my teenage years. So it was just lovely to meet with Jackie and have that, that sort of history together. The padre at the camp was a man by the name of Major Ian Thomas um, from Cape and Ray. And on the Friday night, it was the last night of the camp, and it was in a marquee, and hurricane lamps were hanging from the top of the marquee. He actually spoke 
about the crucifixion and the fact that Jesus had died for my sin. And in my mind, I actually heard Jesus say, I died for you. Will you live for me? And that evening, together with one or two other boys, I went to the Padre's camp, to, into his tent, and there I prayed and uh, committed my life to Jesus. And at that moment, I was born again. I became a child of God, and I became a citizen of heaven. What a change, what a transformation took place in the life of a 15-year-old. Let's go back to our definition, because this was the start of my devoting my time and energy to an undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. And from that moment on, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, I became an ambassador for Christ. That means I actually represent him in this foreign land. I'm a citizen of heaven, I live in this land, and I represent God in this land. And if you're born again, if you're a citizen of heaven, you are an ambassador, and you know the role of an ambassador in any country. There are many ways, really, in which we can invest in the kingdom of God, and I just want to suggest three of them. Time, talents, and tithes. They say every good sermon should have three points. If they all have to start with the same letter, that's an improvement. So to help you remember, there are the three things that I'm thinking about investing today in God's kingdom. is our time, our talents, and our tithes. You know, time is probably one of the most precious things that we can give to anyone. Time is one of the most precious gifts we can give to anyone. Jesus had time for everyone. For Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to him at night and was born again. To Matthew, the tax collector, who became an apostle. To Mary, a woman delivered from demonic oppression, who was the first person to see the risen Lord Jesus. To Paul, another Pharisee, who persecuted the early church until he met Jesus. And a tremendous change took place in his life when they met on that Damascus road. And from that moment, he invested his life in the kingdom. And he became perhaps one of the most powerful and committed ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I wonder how much time do you and I actually spend investing in God's kingdom? Think of your day. Think of your week. How much time is actually invested in the kingdom of God? Secondly, talents. We all of us have natural gifts and abilities. But when we're born again, those gifts are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts as well. And every Sunday morning here... We are led by a worship team who have the natural ability for music. 
a gift that I'd love to have had, but haven't. But how blessed we are with those who lead us into God's presence in worship. Someone said to me, coming into this church in part of worship, it is as though there's a natural rain coming down from heaven that actually feeds me, waters me. And that's what worship does. And we've been so fortunate over the years to have some outstanding worship leaders. And each one has passed on that gifting to another person. Let me ask you, as I ask myself, which of your talents, which of my talents, am I actually investing into God's kingdom? Are we being that salt and that light which he asks us to be in the workplace, in the home, on the sports field? Wherever we may be, we should bring the flavour of Jesus into that situation. We should bring the love the compassion, the joy that Jesus has into all of the situations in which we find ourselves. And then, third point is tithes. Before the law, actually, in Exodus or in Deuteronomy 5, we read, and just turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14 and verses 18 to 20. We read about this. It was the fact that uh, Abraham actually met with a man by the name of Melchizedek. And he, it says, was the king of Salem. And we read there that actually Abraham gave to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a tenth of everything he had. And that tenth, basically throughout scripture, is known as a tithe. And that's why I've actually used that word, because it means a tenth of everything. And it literally does mean everything, because everything we have actually comes from God. So everything belongs to him. And he says that basically a tenth is all that he requires of what we have. That is a tithe. The Bible actually says that the love of money is the root of all evil. In actual fact, that's a total misquote because the Bible doesn't actually say that. It actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not that money itself is evil, it's that the love of money is the root of all evil. And it was very helpful that during my studies, I actually discovered that money is not evil. Money is actually a measure of value and a medium of exchange. That's simply what money is. It measures the value, whether it be a billion pounds for a painting or millions for a painting. That's what it is valued at. And that's what money is. It's a measure of how valuable a thing is. But also, it's a medium of exchange. It's the way that we buy and it's a way that we sell things together. And so, Really, we do need to see that money is a wonderful gift that God has actually given to us to be used for him. You remember that uh, Jesus told a parable. And uh, if you want to look at it, it's in Luke chapter 12. And it's verses 16 through to 21. And this is what Jesus said. Sorry. 
Sorry, I've turned over a page. My apologies. I do apologise. Actually, the Bible has a lot more to say about investing in the kingdom. So let's look at a few passages. Um, One is in 2 Corinthians, chapter 9 and verse 6. And here we actually have a kingdom principle. It says this, 2 Corinthians, chapter 9 and verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And if you turn back to Luke, Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, we've got here what is a kingdom requirement. It says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And for the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. A kingdom command comes from Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse 19, where he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember, we've already looked at this verse. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finally, in Matthew chapter 25, we actually have the kingdom reward. We've got the kingdom principle, the kingdom's requirements, the kingdom's command, and the kingdom reward. And the kingdom reward is, well done, good and faithful servant. But there are other kingdom rewards which we'll look at in a few moments. But if you'd just like to turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9... And chapter, sorry, chapters 8 and 9, Paul has some really helpful things to say about investing in the kingdom. And I'd really encourage you, if you have time, sometime today or during this week, just to read through these two chapters because they are really, really helpful about investing in the kingdom of God. Paul says, first of all, that we invest joyfully in verse 2 with overflowing joy, he says. So giving is something that's joyful. It's not something that we do hard-pressed to do. No, it's something that comes out of the joy that we experience in knowing Jesus as our saviour. It also will cost, because he says here, giving can be sacrificial. And at a time like this, when the cost of living... Um, is creating problems for many of us, and perhaps we can pray about that towards the end. It does have to be, and often is, a sacrifice, because he says that they gave beyond their ability. He also says in verse 4, we give wholeheartedly. And one of the things I love about my favourite character, I think, in the Bible, is Caleb. He was always doing things wholeheartedly. 
And it's great when you see someone doing something wholeheartedly. And so Paul says our giving should be wholeheartedly. It's a privilege to share in this service. He also says we need to do it willingly in verse 11, with eager willingness. It's not something we we don't tithe because we've got to. We don't tithe because we feel we need to or we're told to. We tithe willingly. And we look at the reasons for that in a few moments. It also says in verse 11, we do it according to our means. And that is just so important. We know from, often from the American evangelists how they try to force people to give. And people even move into poverty as a consequence of giving under the pressure. It's not something that we should be pressurised into. But it's according to our means, what we are able to give. So there's a balance going on here. It also says in chapter 9 and verse 5 that our giving should be generous, that we shouldn't be stingy in giving to the kingdom and investing in the kingdom, but that actually it should be generous. And it also says in verse 7 we should do it systematically. We should do it as we decide in our hearts. Giving tithes is a heart situation. It's not about our minds. It's not about outside factors. It's our heart's response to what God has done for us. So we do it systematically. It's not something we come to church and suddenly, oh, I need to put something in the collection. No, it's something at the beginning of the year, we sit down, we do our budgets. I'm an accountant. We do our budgets. We know what we're going to be spending. We know what we're going to be receiving. And we decide on what we're going to invest in God's kingdom. And if anyone wants to have a chat about budgeting, I'm very happy to do that. John Calladine, an accountant, will be very happy to do that to help us to see how we can manage our funding, what comes into our house, how we can actually manage it. But the key verse is chapter 8 and verse 5 because that's where it all begins. It says, They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's where everything begins when we are born again. And that applies to our evangelism as well as to our giving because Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But then he just adds this little bit, and it's just so important. We're not Bible thumpers. We're not Bible thumpers. We actually do it with gentleness and with respect. So our giving and our evangelism all starts with our hearts that are committed to God. And our testimonies are a really powerful part of our evangelism. God also says in chapter 9 and verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not something we do grudgingly. It's not something we think, oh, I must do it now. No, it's something that we do cheerfully. Some people say it's hilarious giving. It should be an exciting time when we come to the collection within church because we're giving of what God has given to us. But one thing that Jesus said It needs to be in secret. 
You know what he thought of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So we, our giving is in secret, our left hand, not knowing what our right is doing. So let's remind ourselves again of that definition of investing. It's devoting one's time and energy to an undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 9, goes on to tell us what that worthwhile result is or are. The first in verse 12, he says that the needs of God's people are met. And that's so important that in a fellowship we ensure that the needs of the people within the fellowship are met. And during COVID, you know, as a church, we put aside an amount of money to help those who were struggling with their finances. And that's so important that we do supply the needs of God's people. But in verse 13, he says that as a consequence of that, people will actually praise God. If they see within the context of the church the love that we have for one another and the fact that we're willing to help one another during financial difficulties and those sort of things, then that has an effect on the community in which we live. And then in verse 14 he says that actually fellowship will be strengthened. He says, as hearts go out to one another. So we supply needs to God's people, God is praised for it, and our hearts are strengthened. But I think we need to go back to chapter 9 and verse 6, because the most important thing is reaping generously. When we sow generously, God blesses us, and we reap generously. That means people are saved. That's the most important thing in the world, is that people are saved. And that's why we give our time, our talents, and our tithes, because we want to see men and women, boys and girls, coming in to the kingdom of God. And young people, the best time to start tithing is when you receive your pocket money. Our children always gave part of their pocket money to the early days of the fellowship, because that's where it starts. It's so much harder to tithe when you're older and you've got all the responsibilities. And I won't take away from that at all. But I will ask you just to, to look to God, perhaps today, perhaps during this coming week, and really say, you know, where do I stand with regards to investing in the kingdom of God? My time, my talents, and my tithes. Finally, Paul suggests two main reasons for doing that. In verse 14, he says, the reason we invest in the kingdom of God is because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. God gave his only begotten son so that we could become children of God. But also we give of our time and our talents and our tithes because he says in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that indescribable gift is Jesus. So that's why we invest in the kingdom of God, because of Jesus. 
So at the beginning of this year, let's just bow our heads and just seek God's presence and ask the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and say, Lord, you have saved me. I want to invest in the most important investment I will ever make in your kingdom. Father, how we thank you for your word. How I thank you that it speaks into our hearts. It changes our lives. It teaches us how we can become born again, children of God, citizens of heaven. Lord, let us always treat your word with great respect. Let us always turn to it and allow it to change our lives. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that this morning you will have spoken to each one of us, that truly each one of us may become a real ambassador for our Lord Jesus. Amen.